All right, welcome to the Tabletop Miniature Hobby Podcast. Uh, it's Matthew with you here, fresh off a plane. I don't know if fresh is the right word for coming off a plane, but I've just uh, been away on holiday to the Canary Islands, got uh, topped up with some vitamin D, so that'll see me through the next decade of uh, Scottish nuclear winters. And I'm joined by somebody on the Southern Hemisphere. It's uh, Rob. How are you doing, Rob, today? Hey Matthew, uh, I'm 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 doing quite well. I'm uh, just coming out the other end of a family-sized cold with the kids, but we're all surviving and very happy to be here tonight. So I when I when I got back from my holiday, I was uh, just catching up on the the Discord channel, um, and there was a really cool thing had popped up, Rob, that you uh, you got a wee mention on. It was uh, Wargamer Wargamer dot com, who'd uh, picked up on a project that you've been working on and talked about it there. And uh, a couple of members of the Discord were saying that it'd be really cool to to hear about this on the podcast, and I wholeheartedly agree. So I appreciate you taking the time to come on and have a wee chat about it. Yeah, no worries. I've been volunteered. I can hardly say no. So this this project is Acolyte, a Warhammer 40k kill team a fan-made solo mode, and we're seeing here that it's inspired by Rangers of Shadow Deep, which listeners to this podcast will be no strangers to, and indeed they might not be strangers to Kill Team either, although it's not a game that uh, gets a lot of airtime on this show with us basically living in the 90s, but I think this is, this is really cool to hear about the meshing of the two, so would you like to tell us a wee bit more about the whole thing, Rob? Yeah, sure. So, um, as everyone is aware, we've lived through a strange few years last couple of years um and down here in melbourne in australia we had one of the world's longest lockdowns kind of in and out for the better part of two years um and through that one of the ways i was trying to stay a bit sane was playing i set up like a weekly online game with my brothers and we're playing kind of strategy squad based kind of things uh, BattleTech and mechanicus if you if the listeners know them um in a cooperative mode um, and I really enjoyed that. I really enjoyed, you know, spending time with my brothers, even if I couldn't actually see them. And then we, we came out of lockdown um, and my brothers are war game lifers. I kind of fell out of it as a kid. I, I, I think I'm I'm the same as all of your, your, your entire listenership, a man of a certain age who had HeroQuest and Space Crusade and then discovered girls and guitars and so on and, and bigger things in life and then you know you've got a bit more time when you're older and you've got kids and you start poking around the things you were into um and so it was harder to, to, to catch up with them they were busier but they're they're both war gamers and so i was kind of digging around to say well what, what could we do together to to maintain that that kind of regular social thing and i found ranges of shadow deep just just googling co-op war games and really really enjoyed that and through that i kind of got back into the hobby um and one of the other things i discovered which i really enjoyed was the the new kill team game which is uh i guess it's one of the fairly flagship games workshop games at the moment but it's it's very different from a lot of their other stuff in that they kind of tore everything up and started again uh, it's, it's an interesting modern rule set with, with a bunch of um, kind of compelling hooks to it that, that I really enjoyed. But I'm not really into the the sweaty, competitive um, play against the person across you and try to crush them kind of gaming so much. And I missed that that cooperative side that I really enjoyed in Rangers. 
and people would ask on the internet, do you think we could make a solo mode in this? And I was like, oh, yeah, it'd be dead easy. Just just take that stuff out of range as a shadow deep, whatever. And, you know, I was putting up these replies for about six months, and then I thought, well, maybe I should do it. Put my money where my mouth is. And so had a bit of time on my hands at home looking after a baby. So while she was napping over a period of two or three weeks, I started kind of mashing all this stuff together and it kind of spiraled out of control. And now I've got a an elaborate solo cooperative adventure game built on a modern rule set that I've put out into the wild and it's kind of blown up. Yeah, just looking at uh, the feedback around it. So there was a Reddit thread that um, I was reading through. So like the, the the response to it was like really positive, and you know, especially in the Games Workshop realm, because there's just so many really engaged people. You're obviously going to attract a few dicks as well. So like I, I know that Games Workshop content it's not always that positive around the you know the discussion around it but it just seemed to be like overwhelmingly positive the the responses that you got to that did that did that surprise you huge well not that it was positive per se but that there was a response at all that that Mm. i just kind of written this thing up in my own time to mostly to play myself to try and convince my brothers to play i said to I may have said it in the post or I said to someone, I, I wrote the game that I wanted to play. Um, and I thought, look, I'll, I've, I've written this thing. I may as well throw it up on Reddit and see if, if I can get any feedback. And I thought, you know, a few people might look at it. And I think by now I've had about 2,000 downloads, something like that, which is wild. It, it's so far beyond what I expected I'd get out of it. But it seems like the game I wanted to play is the game a bunch of other people wanted to play, which is really... Um, Kind of a rewarding feeling, I think. So tell us a wee bit about the game itself, like the you know the story world. If if there is a story world, like what what is the player sort of faced with and trying to do? Yeah, sure. So if you are um, familiar with the the Warhammer stuff, there's this. I don't know. It's it's not a battle between good and evil because the whole the 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 satire and the absurdity is that everyone's bad. There are no good guys. Um, but there's this, you've, you've got the Inquisition, which is kind of like the medieval witch burners, and they just wrote people in to do their dirty work. And I've always been a lot more interested in that kind of grubby, low-level fantasy and sci-fi where it's just people scrabbling along trying to get by. So I thought, you know, make a game where you're just, just a regular dude, hopelessly out of his depth, being pushed into unpleasant situations and just trying to get by. So you are an acolyte to... Uh, an all-powerful inquisitor kind of guy and he's just sending you off to do grubby jobs that you may or may not come back from in one piece it's a it's interesting that like we always talk about games workshop as the gateway you know the big gateway for people like they might get into games workshop or might have in the past but now they're finding all these other games it's pretty cool that uh, you might have created a gateway like to rangers of shadow deep or vice versa you know yeah, and I hope I, I hope I have. I hope people go and you know follow the threads. The it's funny. The very first draft I wrote up for myself, and it didn't make it into the one I put out because I, I felt I changed enough. Uh, like my opening paragraph was an apology to Joe McCulloch for just ripping off his work so shamelessly. <laughs> um, but you know, you've you've you, influences come from everywhere, and if you can send people to the things you like, I think it's a, a really useful thing to do. Have you got any examples off the top of your head, of, of, of like an event that might happen during the game or like um, 
you know, are you doing the, the clue marker thing or anything like that? Well, well, as an example, so for anyone who's played Ranges of Shadow Deep, um, the first scenario in the game I put out involves you going to a deserted settlement, looking for a guy who's vanished, investigating clues, and probably being eaten by zombies. It is, <laughs> it is shameless. It is absolutely shameless. But it's a really like I, I, I wrote that up just as a proof of concept to be like, can I take um, this structure, put it on a different game system, um, teach toy soldiers to play themselves essentially with a little decision tree, uh, and it worked. And it was a lot of fun. And that scenario is really good because it's so simple and it introduces some really fundamental concepts like you have to get to this objective and look at this thing and reveal this thing and the number of enemies are stacking up, but they're these kind of slow-moving, shambling things that are relatively easy to avoid. And it worked so well that I thought, well, ah, I'll leave it in. It's a shameless nod, but it, but it works. Yeah. And you're obviously using the kill team rules because, like... You know, is, is it like the, the kill team rules for like shooting and movement and stuff like that? It's just the framework is that narrative Rangers of Shadow Deep type. Yeah, uh, scaffold. Yeah. If you uh, like the 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 inspiration from Rangers is the the um the AI, if you can call it that, the kind of primitive decision tree stuff, and and I I took that as a starting point, and then um shuffled things around and added extra stages in to deal with more complex combat and, and objectives and so on. Um, and the the drawing cards for random events, that kind of stuff, which are great little ideas. I, and I don't know if they're, they're Joe's originally or they, they have been done in other games because you know, I, was, I was out of it for 25 years or so. I have very little idea of what's happened in game design since then other than it seems like Games Workshop had done very little in games design since then until they came out with a couple of new games recently. But what I really like about Kill Team and why I built it on that is that it, it introduces a couple of really interesting mechanics um, that work really well for a game like this, for this kind of skirmish level um RPG light kind of game where you've got characters that you want to care about and get a bit invested in. Um, it's like Rangers in that it's it's um, everyone's got you know a bank of wounds or life or whatever. But the the way it does combat is is rather than just rolling one dice over and over and over again like Games Workshop would do you, or rolling a d twenty like you do in in games like Rangers, which tend to be either interminable or incredibly swingy uh, as ways of resolving things. Everything's done with um, with pools of dice, you three dice, four dice to attack, to, to defend, and then you're doing multiple things. So something's always happening, which is satisfying. You're always doing a bit of damage. You're always taking a bit of damage and worrying about what the next hit's going to do to you. Um, c combat is really interesting, the way they've designed it, and I've seen nothing quite like this. But, you know, I haven't, haven't looked around that much. Um, but it's it's reciprocal where both sides of the combat roll some dice and then you take turns damaging each other. And so getting into combat is a really sketchy, dangerous thing to do, which I, I think really works well with the theme of you're just a dude in a very scary universe. There's all these horrible monsters. Are you really willing to run up there and hit them with your stick or are you you know just kind of terrified running around trying to do your mission and stay alive and the other thing kill team does which is probably the 
the most complex, certainly the bit with the highest learning curve, is it has a really interesting cover system where you, whenever you, you move a guy around the table, you can choose to be engaged and, and shooting and fighting and whatever, or you can choose to be sneaking around, it, at which point you are, in a lot of circumstances, untargetable. And so it, so it introduces these interesting opportunities for a stealth-based game that aren't really used in the, in the base game because it's a competitive adversarial battle game but I thought had a lot of potential for more of an adventure game where you might need to sneak in somewhere and steal something without anyone spotting you. So I, I've really enjoyed playing it, uh, um, particularly in contrast to some of the other games I've been playing, which don't have those kind of levels of complexity and options in the, the tactical play, I suppose. So I that, that that's why I used that as a system and then, yeah, took the, the narrative and randomizing and and um self-playing procedural ideas from rangers and tried to mash them together i want to ask you a wee bit about your your sort of childhood hobby and stuff like that but first um uh, sort of just thinking like anecdotally from my point of view when folks get back into the hobby and again this this won't be like common across the board it's just what i come across probably through this show when folks get back into the hobby they're tending to play like the older stuff or they're finding non-gw stuff so it's uncommon for me to come across someone who's come back in and is like doing stuff like kill team and that you know you'll even come across folks that are really quite bitter and angry towards games workshop in their modern form what's your kind of take on that like you you're obviously happy and, and glad to be playing a game like kill team what's your sort of opinion on games workshop these days and like the the really fierce criticism that they might get from you know folks that were into them back in the day yeah in many ways like i understand it and i sympathize with it um they are you know a monolithic huge dominant entity a, a massive corporation um that i don't think treats their fans particularly well um or their I think fans is, fans is a good term for it, given it's a it's a it's a fandom kind of thing. Um, the the way the the way the games have gone, well, well, the way the the IP has gone, I guess I'm not hugely interested in that. That I you know I, I I dropped out late nineties, but it's. I mean, you'd know your listeners would know people who've grown up with it. That the, the universe gets its hooks in you. And it's buzzing away in the back of your mind. And you think, "What? What's going on there?" And like you, I, I, I looked at one point. I was like, "Oh, they they blew up Warhammer Fantasy. Why did they do that? I always liked that, but they just, you know, put a stick of dynamite in it and replaced it with this strange, bland, semi-high fantasy thing that that has none of that human element." Um, and yeah, look, I, I don't like the business model where it's everything gets bigger, everything gets better. There's massive scale and power creep. And so when I'm building things and I've gone here, which is, you know, really helpful for an audio format, but I'm building these little space cops who probably yeah. have a, um, an official games workshop name, but, um, really they're just judge dread ripoffs. And I, I, yeah. I remembered the, the metal ones from the nineties that I always liked, but never had. And so I thought, oh, I'll build myself some of those, but I didn't go and buy the new games workshop ones. They're, um, there's some Stargrave bits. 
some 3D printed heads, some other, you know, odds and ends to try and capture that vibe. So I, I, I can see what why people have a distaste of Games Workshop and particularly how they approach um, kind of homebrew stuff as well. So that over the last few years, they've scrubbed everything off YouTube. People were making fan videos. If they knew about this game, they'd probably scrub this off the internet as well, which mm. you know, maybe maybe I'll have reason to be less um, pleased with them. But at the same time, the, the reason I grabbed hold of this game is not because it's a Games Workshop game. It's because I was poking around to see, you know, I, I got back to it and I was like, oh, I wonder what they're doing. And I looked it up and a lot of it was, you know, more of the same spend however much money on this giant thing or you won't win the game. Here's eight new books that you have to buy to play. But there was this little game with really interesting rules, and I went, huh, that actually sounds really compelling, regardless of who's written it. And at the same time, that universe is still buzzing around in the back of my head. So there's a bit of a a bit of a hook there to be able to play in my own way in a setting that intrigued me. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's it. Like um, any sort of sci-fi rule sets that I've got, if we were getting the, the miniatures on the table, we would probably be playing in the 40k universe or like a, you know, my twist on it sort of thing. You know, I still really like that universe. Obviously, you've you've talked about the, the Age of Sigmar one and it's that's not something I, I'm really interested in at all. But... Um, on the on the fantasy side of things, the Warhammer Old World as well is a brilliant setting, even if you're not using their rules or their old rules. Um, so yeah, it's it's interesting. The you know, I think reasons that I've toyed with a game like Kill Team in the past without knowing very much about it is I know that I'd then be able to find plenty of folks to play, but then I don't actually have that much time to play anyway. So like I'm trying to get together with Robert again for another game. We're going to play Song of Blades and Heroes. So it's not like I even have, you know, if I had a if I had a day a week where I was like I'd really take a game, then I would I would probably get into something like Kill Team just to be able to go to like um, a local shop or some a local club, which there will be some. So are you playing with um, modern their modern miniatures or are you using stuff? from the, the olden days, if you like. So I have nothing from when I was a kid. I um, I gave it all to my brother, um, and he's still got bits and pieces of it, and occasionally something will, will float up to the surface, and I'll be like, oh, I, I remember that. I, I half-painted that and then gave up. But that red, I put that bit of red on. Um, but everything I've got now is all is all new. So when I, when I got back in, um, and this is like, nine months, maybe a year ago, um, we, I convinced my brothers to play some Rangers and I enjoyed it. And I thought, you know, maybe I'll, maybe I'll try a bit of painting, see if I'm into it. And I bought a sprue of the Frostgrave soldiers, um, off eBay, just five dudes and a starter paint set. Um, and I was crap, but I was better than I was when I was 12, strangely. Um, I guess just a bit more patience and a bit more capacity to kind of visualize what I wanted to do before I did it. Um, and that got me, you know, digging around and there's all kinds of cool new plastic stuff these days. And um, that what I really enjoyed with the Frostgrave things was, was having an idea of what I wanted my adventurers to look like. And I don't know if you've seen the, the Frostgrave plastic kits, 
or the Stargrave ones, they've got so many, so many bits on them. You get, you know, five bodies, but you get 20 heads and 20 different sets of arms and pouches and scabbards and shields. So you can really build the dudes you want to build. And I really, really enjoyed that. And I found myself, you know, buying other little bits and sprues and cutting them and shaving them together. And so, yeah, I've, I've just kind of been doing that since. Um, the Frostgrave stuff, the Stargrave stuff. Uh, there's a great company called War Games Atlantic who make a lot of historics. And this is all, you know, 28 mil stuff. It's cheap. It's really, you know, good good quality, really nice to work with. So all my stuff at the moment is is that. It's new. Uh, it's plastic. And I'm, I've just really been enjoying kit bashing, I suppose, buying bits from all over and and making the dudes I, I want to make. So, you know, with these space cops, I had an image of what I wanted these guys to look like in my brain, which is Judge Dredd, essentially. I just wanted to build a little squad of Judge Dredd dudes to play my game, to play Kill Team, or a bit of Necromunda I've been playing lately, um, or Stargrave or something like that, and was able to, you know, fish around between all the different manufacturers and find the pieces I wanted to put them together and, yeah, really been enjoying that process. And it's a lot cheaper than trying to find stuff from the 90s. Yeah, I definitely. So you're saying it's nine months ago, that's when you sort of came back into it all then? Mm. Yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah, we played a bit of Rangers. I, I thought about, um, yeah, see if I liked painting. Uh, my, my second child was born and I was getting up at 4 a.m. every day and taking a baby out of the bedroom and getting her back to sleep so my partner could get some sleep. And... um. I couldn't really turn the lights on and read or anything. And so I, I was looking for something to do on my laptop in the dark. Um, that came out all kinds of wrong. Don't clip that, please. <laughs> um, and I found a stash of old White Dwarf magazines. And I started, I, I thought, you know, I'll, I'll read these from the top. Um, started on issue one back in 1970, whatever. And they're, mm. they're a bit weird early, but I, I kind of got back into it through that way as well. And I read my way through the development of it. And, yeah, I really enjoyed the um, – I still am, I suppose. I'm still reading them. Um, I really enjoyed like the, the early formative stages of the, the Warhammer stuff where it's much more of a sketch with all these gaps that you can fill in. It's much more focused on the low level. You are just – you play as, you know, just everyday people in a very scary, strange world that you don't quite understand because the people writing it didn't quite understand it either and they just put the broad strokes in. So, yeah, that, that's kind of how I got back into it and, and what I've really enjoyed from it. And, and what I'm doing now is, is, for me at least, trying to recapture a bit of that, that, that DIY RPG light um, spirit of the early stuff. How are you kind of um, staying informed about the the medium then, like uh, about the hobby? Are you, you know, are you reading certain websites? Are you getting any magazines? Any other podcasts you're listening to? I mean, you'll learn nothing from this one, obviously. Yeah, um, I th- there's there's companies that I've discovered that I really like. So um, North Star, who do the Frostgrave and Stargrave models um they put out lovely stuff so i I follow them on um instagram 
um, and just keep an eye on what they're doing. Uh, War Games Atlantic, just see what they're putting out. You know, you don't buy heaps of stuff, but occasionally they'll put out a kit, and I'll, I'll buy everything kind of by the sprue. So I only want five of these guys. I don't need a whole box. So mm. buy bits and pieces like that. I um, I keep an eye on on the Games Workshop stuff um, because I'm kind of invested in the Kill Team rules now, um, and, and it's a, a living game system, I suppose, is stuff constantly coming out um, and I listened to a, a Kill Team podcast which is perhaps even less informative than this one uh, called Kill Team Casuals. That's hard, hard yeah. bad, uh, crawl under. <laughs> well, they, they do their best. Um, but yeah, and a lot of Reddit. Reddit's really good. I, I find, and you were saying earlier about, you know, was I surprised by the positive feedback and i said more the scale because the 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 miniature communities on reddit are just lovely places and i don't know if it's reddit as a platform is just really good at upvoting nice people and downvoting awful people Mm -hmm. but it's just a really supportive positive environment where everyone is just you know super stoked to see other people playing with toy soldiers and painting them and having a good time so i spent too much time on there Did you know that, just like every other podcast out there, this show has its very own Patreon? But this is no ordinary Patreon. It's actually the worst Patreon ever. That's right, there's no rewards, no extras, no bonus content, no early access, no shoutouts and no thank yous. I'll just take the money and quietly get on with making the show. Not that there's any money to take because hardly anyone's pledging to the thing. Like I say, it's the worst Patreon ever. Find it at bedroombattlefields.com slash worst Patreon ever. That's all one word, worst Patreon ever. Now, back to the show. In my like minimal experience of Reddit, it does seem to, I'm not saying this is like true across the board, but it does seem to have a bit of a better atmosphere, you know. People on there generally seem to be a bit more human than like some of the other cesspits you come across, you know, Twitter, yeah, I Facebook. Think it's- I think it's something about the, the technology, the, the whole upvote, downvote and, and promote things that people like and hide things that people mm. don't. It, mm. it it filters, but it also encourages a particular kind of behaviour, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That, that it's like, well, what's the point in me being a jerk if it's just going to vanish? I may yeah. as well say something <laughs> nice or say nothing at all. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Um, before we get on to like what what you were up to when you were wee with the hobby, uh, what paints are you using these days? Uh, you doing any paint at all? Yeah, yeah. I um, I don't have as much time to do it as I'd like, um, and I'm quite a slow painter. I I when I got back in, I bought a um Vallejo starter set because they seemed like they, they were meant to be decent paints and good value. And, and I've had really good experiences with them. So I've mostly got those um, and a few of the um, the Citadel washes and a, a couple of contrast paints that I've just used for um, not in the, you know, slather everything in contrast paint, uh, quick painting style, but more for like tricky stuff like trying to get glowing eyes and that kind of thing. I found they were really good for that because you can, you can kind of pick out the um the the dynamics you want just in black and white on a model and then and then put the contrast over it. So there's like I've got a like a fluoro green and a fluoro orange one that have been really good just for those really bright sections. 
Um, but otherwise, I still paint like I did when I was a kid, which is drab colours and and slather the whole thing in black ink and hope for the best. Yeah, I I am the same. Um, I think what changes as an adult is, like you were alluding to before, you, your planning is a lot better, and you've got the you know I'm I'm not saying we've all got loads of disposable income, but you do at least have some money to plan to buy something. Whereas yeah. I do remember as a kid in the, the White Dwarf catalogs, it was like I'm going to buy all of that and I'm going to buy all of this. And yeah, I clearly wasn't because I never had, ever you had an exercise money, so. book with ten different armies written down in that you would never yeah. ever going to own. This is what I'm getting. And, yeah, uh, I and that that's another reason I got really into the skirmish stuff that that um. As much as we've got disposable incomes now, we don't have disposable time. When you're a kid, you've got all the time in the world and no money to fill it with. Now, you know, we're, we've got jobs, we're comfortable enough, but finding the time to to play games, to, to glue things together, to paint things, if you only need to put 10 dudes on the table to play, it's just so much more realistic and feasible um, the, then, and I know some of the guys in the Discord are like, "No, no, mate, I need, I need hundreds, I need thousands of models. Yeah. This is, this is what Give I want as board. a kid. This is what I'll have now." <laughs> but I'm, I'm like, I, it's less about the the spectacle and more about the social side of it for me. So just be able to get mm. something I'm happy with on the table. If it's ten dudes, it's ten dudes, and I'm, I'm really happy to be able to do that. Yeah, I am the same. Like I'm mainly skirmish based for that reason i still do love to see the pictures of people who have the, the the balls basically to to put these like huge armies these big blocks of troops i love to see it um not naming any I of just... your guests who can convince their wives <laughs> to knock a wall through and build a massive table <laughs> yeah i'm, I'm sympathetic um, as well um I, I can't remember his name but you had the guy on who was um, I think he ran a, a six or an eight mil company um, a while back. Yeah, I, I am um, Peter. Yeah, Bacchus. Yeah, and, and he Bacchus made, managers, he made yeah. I think, a really valid point that the size of table people play 28 or 32 mil mass combat games on isn't big enough. That to have a really good game, you need enough space to have movement and tactical options and being able to flank and whatever. And if you're just wall-to-wall dudes on both sides and you're marching at each other, it's a, it's a less interesting experience. So if you're able to have a you know a 15-foot table, fantastic, build a massive army. Mm-hmm. But the, the space you have available to play in as well, I think, is a determining factor, whether it's quantity or the scale you play at Mm -hmm. yeah i am still working on some six mil stuff uh i've basically got a i got a load of miniatures from bacchus and the idea was to just i think it was a basically an army box like a single army and i divvied them up and i think i've got say seven units each fairly balanced you know there's a bit of difference just to make it interesting so it's not a game of chess uh so I aim to have a game of that within the next couple of months at least. I'm going to use the um, Mayhem rules. Brent Spivy's Mayhem book looks really good for mass battles. So uh, aye, that'll be something that I'll be talking about in a future episode. Yeah, nice. Um, and get my get my rank and flank fix at last. <laughs> we um we had um 
I forget what what it was called. One of the epic um, Warhammer games when we were kids, the the sci-fi ones. Um, and yeah, I've, I've been enjoying reading the old White Dwarfs because I'm up to I don't know 1989 or so when when that was just released. And they've got these pictures of these massive armies, you know, spread out with tanks and infantry and giant robots. And it, it, it is a really, um, it's really nice to see. There's a, 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 I don't know what the word I'd use is, but it's really striking to see those massive armies on a table. And so I'm, I can definitely see the appeal there. But at the same time, I'm, I'm, what I find really satisfying in the painting is is you know getting all the bits i want to make the guy that i can imagine in my mind and getting the pose and i find 28 mils a really good scale for that even though you know when i first bought those frostgrave guys i was like oh my god these are so tiny these are so much smaller than i remember turns out my hands were smaller when i was 12 um but yeah i I feel like 28 mil is a almost like a, a good natural scale for painting and gaming because you can get a good amount of detail without having, you know, the demands of going up to, to 35, 56 mil, whatever, where they start to get into like proper big toy soldier territory. But, but I'm also, you know, I'm, I'm sympathetic to those, those space demands of, you know, you want to play a big, a big rank and flank waterloo game or or ancients or fantasy or whatever there's that appeal to being able to put a huge army on the board and there's a guy on the on the on the discord for this part as well who's doing really interesting things with the um magnetic travel cases i don't know if you've seen those he's um getting you know tool cases and board game cases and things and building scenery within them and playing sort of 15 mil travel games which is really interesting Mm. as well because it's it makes you shrink the space a bit and it suddenly becomes incredibly portable Mm. yeah Uh, it's cool to just to see what folks get up to you know what they build and what they create um i think that's a great part of coming back in when you're a bit older and got some life experience you maybe you come up with ideas and things to try and actually go and execute them or, you know as a kid you spend a lot of time talking about going to do something and really yeah. actually do it <laughs> so um i going back to when you were a kid then talk us through like getting into the hobby initially how did that come about um so yeah i think like your entire listenership hero quest we had we had Hero Quest and Space Crusade as kids. Um, my my dad had been a, I'd say you'd call it a historic wargamer now, but it was Second World War, and this is he would have played in what the sixties and the seventies, so it was pretty much contemporary then. But but there were always these boxes of um of like one seventy second tanks and trucks and whatever squirreled away in the shed. You'd open something and a whole army would spill out. So so I was aware that toy soldiers were a thing. And yeah, we had Hero Quest, we had Space Crusade, we'd go to, I, I, I grew up in Glasgow and we'd go to visit my grandparents down in London, they lived right near a games workshop, so we'd just wander down there and pretty much just as tourists, just gawk through the windows and all this stuff. So we had, you know, we had those games, we'd play them as a family um, and got a few of the plastic box sets, the early ones. So my brother was a bit older, or my brother still is a bit older because that's how time works. <laughs> um, 
and, and so I guess he was probably doing most of it. We had the um, the the Marines with the pointy helmets, another the first lot, and we had the um, the skeleton army, where these fiddly little things. But there was a chariot, and there were there were cavalry, um, and and then you know just like a, a few metal bits and bobs around the edges. Never enough to really play a game with other than those those more family focused board games and then yeah when i when i got a bit older and you started getting birthday money and an attention span and and so on um i i'd split the big games workshop boxes with with my older brother so we had 40k second edition um and we had uh one of the epic games I think. And so, you know, it was a bit of that. And you actually start to play and like going back and reading the rules now, particularly the early stuff, completely impenetrable. That I have no idea how a seven-year-old thought he had any idea what was going on in that game. <laughs> but well, I, I have, you know, fairly vivid memories that we were actually playing things. Um, and I think as well that what, what kind of informs... My nostalgia about it is that as much as when I was starting to um, to buy stuff with my own money and, and paint things, it was that, that classic 90s games workshop where everything's bright red and blue on goblin green. Um, a lot of my exposure came from much older copies of White Dwarf that we'd get from the local library, which was the strange old... Um, messy rogue tradery stuff, weird conversions, rules that made absolutely no sense, um, background stuff that you legitimately could not print these days because it, it got very sketchy. Um, the kind of things a seven-year-old probably shouldn't be reading. Um, but but that that kind of weird early phase as, as well is what stuck in my head, I think, and. and why, when I've been going back and, and reading them, getting back into it now, that kind of grubby, low-level, um, scary, unknown universe is, is the the bit that most appeals to me, and the, 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 the absurdity and the humour and the blackness that's in there, that's kind of been sanitised out um, to some degree today, but also all the gaps have been filled in as well. So there, there's much less... DIY, both in terms of the hobby and the the universe, I suppose. There was I in the Discord. If I just do a bit of this, makes great audio. There was a interview with Rick Priestley on another podcast. I might have to find it and put it in the show notes. If you jump on your, your podcast app and you Google him, he's been on a bunch and they're all fascinating. He's really interesting to listen to. Um, for anyone who doesn't know, Rick Priestley is, is pretty much the guy who invented Warhammer and Warhammer 40,000, um, if not the entirety of the rules, certainly the universe. So re really influential there. Five games from Doomsday, it was, the podcast. Um, so I've heard Rick on a few other podcasts, but this one seemed to me like in the few that I've heard this was the most insightful in terms of the origin story of Warhammer and um you know the the lore and stuff like that and how it developed and how sort of piecemeal it was at the time. 
and you know his opinions on where it went from there and uh, how he kind of uh, parted ways with the company. It was really, really good. I'll put a link to that in the show notes. Uh, five games from Doomsday. Have you read? Uh, did you read Dice Men at all? No, uh, Livingston no, I, and Jackson book. I haven't haven't seen it, but um, yeah. I, as I've been catching up, I have been you know following up these threads, reading interviews, and listening to them. And there's there's a really interesting um, side to it that that Priestley talks about, where he says, "Well, the reason the 40k universe looks like it does is um, because nobody thought it would sell." And I said, "We're not going to make any models for it, so it's got to have orcs, it's got to have elves, it's got to have dwarves, because that's what we've already got." Um, it's it's got to have cops who look like Judge Dredd because we have the license for Judge Dredd and already make those models. And so he, and I think in a way it makes it a much more um, familiar and relatable universe in a way. As much as it's it's authoritarian, dystopian, horrific far future, it it's got all these cultural touchstones in that that are kind of embedded in our psyches as as lifelong fans of fantasy or sci-fi. And it just kind of falls together into something that works. I always thought when I was we like, is 40K, is, it, is that the Warhammer world 40,000 years in the future? It's obviously, like, it's meant to be this galaxy 40,000 years in the future, this world. Um, but I just thought with the orcs and that, like, there must be a continuity there. Well, if you go back, if you go back far enough, there were attempts to kind of reconcile the two, that the fantasy world is somewhere in there, that, that for whatever reason it's kind of cut off from everything else. But I think mm. they, they gave up eventually. Like, no, nah, let's stop. Let's stop trying to make this work. Who cares? It's fantasy. It doesn't That's a good sense. homebrew. Like, I'm taking, like, five space marines and we're going to fight this massive high elf army. But, uh, well, if you, if you go back far them. enough... <laughs> There's not that distinction, and this is this is like the the wildness of it that really appeals to me. It's like they they have this um, role play adventure where it's like you are a bunch of Vikings raiding these these South American frogmen's temple, and you break in there and you dig down far enough, and suddenly you find a, a, a golden chest full of laser guns that that the space aliens have left there, and so there is that 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 kind of overlap built into it at least in the early stages mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and then and then when, when it gets to that early 40k stuff and i i read the um the rogue trader rule book um out of you know, curiosity and also because it was 4 a.m um and and then i listened to some some rick Priestley interviews and he talks about how it is essentially a medieval world where the whole thing runs on, you know, blind faith and fear and an oppressed peasantry, um, just extrapolated up to an entire galaxy. And, and there's a lot of, you know, the, the, the interest, the interesting parts of it to me are that same, um, grubby scrabble for survival in a, you know, a kind of sketchy, superstitious, culturally historic setting like the the old warhammer stuff the the old world stuff just swinging back to uh, acolyte then as we kind of run out of time here rob yep. um are you any other plans to write anything else from it at the moment 
yeah, so I'm, I'm, I'm plugging away at it. Just, just. So, so when I first put it up, it was just a, a proof of concept. A proof of concept. Like, does this AI model work? Is it fun to play? Um, and now it's kind of taken off and say, oh, crap, I've got to make a real game out of this. I've got to <laughs> fill in all the gaps and, and, and complete this and make it playable, particularly if I'm going to convince people to play it with me. Because um, to this point, I've, I've only you know, play tested it on the kitchen table with kids' toys for enemies and terrain and paper tokens and piles of books. Um, so, yeah, I'm, I'm working on a few things at the moment and putting in you know more enemies and monsters and more missions, that kind of thing. Uh, and I've got some ideas. But but what's been really inspiring is um, I, made a, I made a Discord for it and a bunch of people have been enjoying it. They jump in, they share their games, but they've also started writing rules and talking about writing their own adventures. And so, you know, you, you make a cool thing and you stick it out in the world and people like it enough, they'll make cool stuff using it as well. So that's... That's the best case scenario is I don't have to, to, to keep writing stuff on it because other people will. Yeah, I, I it gets that life of its own and just takes off, yeah. And uh, then Joe McCulloch can't sue like 20, 30 people, can he? So, and Games Workshop as well. Imagine they both came at you from Well, end. yeah, that's, that's the problem. <laughs> um, I, I don't own any of the rights to any of this. So, you know, <laughs> put it out for free. Uh, you, you're talking about AI in... A couple of episodes ago, and it got a bit weird at the end with Skeletor and, and whoever else. <laughs> but, um, you know, it's, it's a free game, and I thought I'd try and make it look nice. I was putting AI art on it as well, because at least nobody's going to sue me for that. Um, but, yeah, we'll, we'll see how much life it has when um, when somebody who actually has a claim to it decides that, you know, maybe you're not allowed to do this. I, I have no idea what the legal status of it is at the moment. Hopefully it's too small for anyone to notice but it's uh, been a lot of fun in the meantime. Great stuff. Where can uh, where can the listener uh, go and get themselves a copy of the game? Um, so I've got a link tree for it. Um, the address is uh, linktr.ee, link tree, slash acolyte game. Um, there's the rules on there. There's a link to the Discord. Um, a link to my profiles where I talk about it a bit. So if you want to you know, jump on there and have a look around, fantastic. Um, and I post a bit on the, the Kill Team Reddit um, when I put a new release in as well because that seems to be where the people who are most into it lurk other than on the, the Discord for the game itself. Great stuff. I'll put links in the show notes too so the listener could find it that way. And, uh, Fantastic. I wishing you all the best for it and uh, just great to see you having some success with it and um, another wee cool game out there for, for folks as well. Yeah, great. Thank you. As successful as anything you do for free can ever be. <laughs> yeah, I leave it a love. Like this, this high-earning <laughs> podcast of yours. Yeah, I know. I know that's how it went on holiday last week. Multi-millionaire now. <laughs> that Patreon's really paying off. I noticed you stopped plugging it, though, so I figure you've, you've earned enough from it. Yeah, I forgot, to be honest, I forgot about it. It sounds terrible, but um, I went in there and there was enough for a, to, to get a pizza and a couple of beers, so... Uh, I think you'd fire a few bob in there yourself. I really appreciate that. Thank you. Well, I think um, the two beers might be my subscription, so you're welcome. <laughs> I, I can't even remember the URL. Was it um, was it bedroombattlefields.com slash worst Patreon or worst Patreon ever? It was something like that. Um, I'll put links in the show notes to that as well, seeing as I'm in a linky show notes mood. 
Um, thanks very much, Rob. I appreciate you taking the time. Uh, thanks for having me on here. It's, it's been great. Yeah, really enjoyed it. We'll get you back on once uh, you get sued and we'll talk about the legal case and yeah. uh, how you're going yeah. to defend yourself. How Games Workshop destroyed my life. <laughs> cool. All right, Rob. Thank you very much. Great. Thank you. Thank you.